Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, Divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Now with me today is author Aaron Clary, and this show is a part two continuation about his book called The Curse of the High IQ, and I want to welcome you back to the show, Aaron. Thanks for bringing me back. Well, let's start a little bit with some background about yourself and your life, and then we'll kind of continue into part two on your book. Oh, okay. Uh, you just want me to give you a little background then? Yep, that would be great. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, basically, I'm a banker turned author with a little bit of a divergence into teaching ballroom dance. Uh, so uh, uh, I had like 20 years in banking and uh, got out of that. And now uh, with the Internet uh, exploding with social media, ended up becoming a podcaster, blogger, uh, author type of individual. And uh, so I wrote a, a couple books. They did very well. And uh, that kind of led down the path. The, the books are in ever so generally written about economics, I'd like to say maybe self-help, but not necessarily, but kind of in that genre, financial advice, financial planning, and uh, that has ended up getting me a little bit of following, so this is what I do for a living now. Yeah, and you know, um, what I like about your writing style is you're pretty blunt and to the point, which I definitely appreciate, because so many people write books and they just go on and on about a topic, and you know, they don't get to the point, Uh, and so I I like that you do that. And another interesting thing is that um, I'm on Podomatic, you know, this airs on the radio and then it goes on to podcast, and so uh, the show that I did with you actually went to number one in my category. And I can I sent you the statistics. You have people not just in the United States and Canada, but you have people all over the world uh, listening to that show. And I thought that was amazing because I've been a host for a long time, and I, I got to number one thanks to you. Oh yeah, no, this, this internet is. I mean, not that we didn't know it, but this internet is cool. I mean, it it is a game changer. And yeah, I, I got uh, uh, readers, followers, subscribers, whatever you you want to call them. Uh, around the, the world, and you know, you, you get the little map, and you see someone. Oh, we got somebody in Madagascar listening, yeah, or oh, there's somebody in Azerbaijan <laughs> listening. Yeah, so it's it's really neat. I've I've met some of these people when I go travel around the world. You know, then you get to meet them in person. So it's really kind of cool. You got this small little. I mean, it, it, it really has made a small little tight-knit world, so it, it's kind of neat. It, it's amazing because I'm laughing because there were countries that people were listening to the show on that I've never even heard of, Aaron. <laughs> you know, well, there's like 176 of them or something. I, some of them you've never heard of, so I, I just thought it was pretty amazing. Now, you tell me a little bit also, you have a blog called Captain Capitalism. Yeah, that's how I started because Blogger was like the first social media to come out. So I, I started a blog called Captain Capitalism. That's probably a decade or even 11, 12 years old now. And uh, that's kind of the, the flagship or the mothership of all the, the different other social medias. I mean, if you want to go to, quote, my site, that I'd start there and then it, it, it links to all the other stuff I got going on. Now, name some of the books that you've written. Uh, well, there's uh, Behind the Housing Crash. That was my first book. Uh, that was about the housing bubble and predicting it. Uh, then there's Worthless. That's about worthless college degrees, and it's a guide for young kids or anyone who wants to go to college. Saying, okay, look, here's the, the reality of economics, and you can't go major in English in an English-speaking country. you got to go major in what's in demand, which it advocates STEM degrees in engineering. Um, I think my next book was Bachelor Pad Economics. That is a, a hand-holding guide from the age of 14 to death for financial planning for young boys to old men. Um, then there was the Black Man's Guide Out of Poverty. I have actually a disproportionately high percentage of young black men uh, that listen to my show or, or read and stuff like that. So I, I, this was, a, again, a how-to guide that specifically addressed getting black men out of poverty. So how to, you know, if you have nothing, there's one thing, oh, yeah, we'll just go to college because we have middle-income folks. What if you don't have middle-income folks? Yeah. What if you don't have folks? Yeah, um, right. So that was kind of, you know, hey, here's your escape philosophy out of poverty, and you really got to, you know, like the Apollo 13 mission, you really got to use your resources very efficiently. Yeah, pull um, yourself out. And then, um, yeah, then the, there's Curse of the High IQ, the, the one that you're calling about, and I just came out with Reconnaissance Man uh, about a week or two ago. So that, those are the, the main flagship books that I have. 
Okay, and then you also have a website, which I'll just say it as A-Hole Consulting. Everybody will know what that means. <laughs> because, but I saw that I went, yes. wow, it's, it's, it's in your book. So, of course, I immediately went to the site fascinated by it. Why don't you, why don't you explain what that is? That is, um, that's the byproduct of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys read my books, and women too. Uh, but it's, again, because of the nature of it's kind of consulting or it's advising or, or hand-holding and financial advising, a lot of people, I get a lot of questions and emails. And so soon I was spending like about an hour or two a day answering fan slash quote requests for, you know, what do I do in this situation? I'm like, I, I don't have time to do this. So I thought, I know, I'll, I'll tell people I got to charge and that will make them go away. And I, when I said <laughs> I would charge, they paid. I thought, oh, I thought they'd go away. And so I did some math and I'm like, well, I always wanted to start a company like this. So I set that up and now I'm not joking. That thing accounts for a quarter of my revenue. So That's I advise literally two to three clients a day answering their questions from everything. Like, I, I mean, not to be crass, but just to show you the range. Yeah. Today I got a client. I got to I got to do a video. Um, he is he's been working in the oil fields up in uh, Canada, and he went straight out of high school. And uh, he, he's now twenty three. But since he's been up there, there's not a lot of ladies. And now he's wondering about uh, employing the services of a lady of the evening, shall we say? <laughs> and he wants to know how to go about doing that. I'm like, dude, I don't know, but I'll find out. And if you're going to pay me, good. So there's that. And then more commonly, you know, what should I major in, or should I should I buy a house, or should I get a condo? Um, and then sometimes I have actual real economic analysis. Like one person wanted me to to analyze the Melbourne housing market in Australia. So it. It runs the gambit, but as long as the money's green, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a great idea. All right, so let's go. Let's do the continuation part of The Curse of the High IQ, a most fascinating book. I think I told you I read it in two days. And I want to go into our edu- educational system and give me your opinion of it, because I agree with so much of what you say. When I read this book, I go, I know this guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're probably sitting next to me in class then, like most likely. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, basically, the, the edu- it's not an education system. We have to, the first thing we have to understand is the education system is not for educating the children. The education system is there to enrich teachers and be an employment vehicle for, quote-unquote, educators. A lot of people say that's conspiratorial. They say, oh, you know, how can you say that? The ch-? And they cowardly hide behind the children as this noble cause. So they, no, it's a money-making racket. So from K to 12... Um, it, it's largely to employ your elementary education teachers, your um, principals, uh, vice principals, stuff like that. Uh, but then in college, that if, if people can't see that for the racket it is today, then, then I can't really help you. Right. Well, well, the college part I understand, but you know, one of the things I look at in school, and, and you talk about in your book, is if you're a high IQ person, you know, either you're you're really really bored because it's not going fast enough. Because the way I look at it is, if you're teaching a group of people, whatever the topic is, even if it's adults, you can really only progress that that class to whoever the weakest link is in that class, because you're going to have people going fast, slow, and medium. But you can't step it up, otherwise you're going to have the slow people falling behind. You know, and I've always wondered, why do we have grades by age, for example? Why isn't it school divided up maybe according to IQ and intelligence level where, you know, maybe the slower kids, they need more help and and have a class for them. And then maybe the kids that are faster paced and higher intelligence, not necessarily numbered grades, but just different. Why isn't that done? Right, I mean, and... Well, that's a good question, and and if you really did care about the education of children and you wanted them to achieve their utmost, you would say, okay, some special needs kids need some kind of different form of education or special education, and then the advanced students, we'd allow them to go as fast as you want. But again, you're operating from the premise that we actually care about delivering the best education and churning out the best educated students as possible. That is not what the public education system, at least, is designed for. The public education system is in part designed to, one, enrich teachers, enrich a class of people, uh, but then also to provide conformance. I mean, in the olden days, you look at the model that our current education system is based on, based on what's called the Prussian model, and this is like back in the 1840s, 1850s, and this was in anticipation of the Industrial Revolution. And what they needed was good workers. They needed good conformers, worker bees and drones. They didn't, they don't need 
smart people who have great ideas and they're going every which way but loose. So um, it, it's outdated. It's a holdover. And now it's been politically corrupted as an enrichment vehicle. Yeah, let, let me ask you a question. You're making me think of the military in that respect. Is, is that kind of the same thing? It's not school. It's the military. But my understanding, because I'm not military, is that they break you mm-hmm. down, whatever, whatever you know, if you're serving an Army, Navy, Navy Air Force, Marines, they, they break you down so that um, you're working cohesively with your unit and ultimately you have somebody leading that unit. Is that similar? Would that be similar comparison? It's, it's, yeah, it's similar, but the military's aim is, is more noble and honest, I mean, yeah, you you can't have a bunch of people running around on a battlefield uh, chaotically. I mean, you want your military to be that Prussian conformist model. That's why, okay, you're private. You guys are going to do what the sergeants telling you. Sergeants are going to do what the lieutenants tell you. And at, at the top, you're going to have uh, experienced generals uh, determining the overall strategy and, and, and the lay it all the land. So, for the sake of efficiency, yeah, your your military. But that's a completely separate beast. Okay. than educating your kids who you're then going to let out into the real world and through their own wit and education and intelligence and, and um, uh, uh, cleverness have to go out and make the most of their career. So the military is a, is a very specific, you know, go over there and kill everybody and destroy a right, lot of things. Right. Whereas, okay, if you're going to, you know, even out of the military, it's like, well, destroying things and killing people isn't, isn't exactly the great deal. You know, not a lot of jobs out there for that. So you're going to have to come up with something yeah. more productive, and that's where well, education, getting the best education you can, and, and being intelligent, that's where uh, a, a good education comes in. Right. I mean, I think of the military as very goal-oriented. Now, schools should be that way. And listen, I can't say all teachers are, are bad. I've, I've had plenty of good teachers. I know plenty of good teachers. But I think it's the way the actual system itself is set up is is – just like a general type thing and then you know there's so much pressure with these kids to pass these state or federal tests that they have to take all the time one of the things and i don't know if you're familiar with the is the is the common core and i only knew about this maybe a year or two ago because i don't have kids and i went whoa i looked at some of these questions and i went what the heck is this how you know they don't learn multiplication the standard way and it's fine to learn something a different way but then you're putting all the kids into common core why aren't kids being taught to how they think because people think differently. Well, comic look again. It's, it, it, I don't. It's, it's not conspiracy. It's not <laughs> like oh, I have it out for the public education. I do. I do have it out for the public education <laughs> system because they're failing and screwing over the kids and the taxpayer. Uh, but Common Core is basically a bunch of theoretician academics who have doctorates in education, which shouldn't be a thing. Teaching is not that hard, and they say, hey, I got a new way to do multiplication. I got all these crazy theories. Uh, but I got a position of power over in Washington, so we're going to force my academic theories down the throats of millions of young little kids, and, and consequently their parents. Uh, right. Yeah, Common Core. I mean, it, in the olden days, it was like okay, school is handled at the at the local level. Uh, but now, if you want those federal dollars, now with uh, Washington gets to have a say. So you get policy wonks and 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 truly egotistical uh, academians with their doctorates in education trying to use this as a little experiment so they can, you know, get their little ego fix. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 again, once again, operate from the principle, the education industry is not for the kids, it's for the educators, and it, it explains everything. I mean, it's Occam's razor. It, it explains it in the simplest way possible. Gotcha. Now, you know, you're talking in the book about college, and, you know, you're trying to decide upon your lifetime career at 17 or 18, so spending your parents' money or getting student loans for a career where you can never pay back that lo- you know, those loans. You're, you're going for a career that you've paid $80,000, $100,000, and then you're going to go out and find a job that pays, maybe if you're lucky, depending on where you live, $25,000. Well, you can't afford to, you know, rent, so you have to live with your parents, and so now you have to pay for a car and insurance and food and so forth. It, it, you know, I understand that do you want to talk about that a little bit well i mean it's okay here, does common core teach kids basic economics does common core no. or k through 12 tell these kids hey look up starting salaries before you go and you choose a degree do you have any teachers saying hey you know before you drop 75 grand on your master's in social work maybe you should see what the starting salary is for social no they lie to these kids they follow your heart and the money will follow you can do anything follow your dreams blah 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 they just want to pass the kids on get their good reviews at the end they don't care what happens to the kids at the end uh, so what is what ends up happening is what we have today you have a generation, just like my generation, Gen X, we were lied to. We were told, yeah, you can follow your heart and the money will follow. Just do this and everything will be wonderful. Just go to college. Any degree is a good degree. It'll get your foot in there. All these, yeah, all these I lies. remember that. 
Yeah, and now we're telling the, the millennials the exact same thing, and now that's what we have. You have millions of millennials, young people going to college, with trillions every year. A trillion dollars is spent on K through college education. Trillions of dollars borrowed by the taxpayers, government grants, scholarships, flooding the education market. It drives up the cost of tuition with all these trillions of dollars flooding the market. Everybody wonders why tuition's so high, mm-hmm. why you have to pay three hundred dollars for a book, and then yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, and then uh, and then millions of college kids are graduated and let onto the labor market every year with the exact same worthless liberal arts degrees, and then they wonder why the wage or starting salary is so low. It's because you flooded the market with these worthless degreed people. Not the people are worthless, but degrees are worthless. And so what you have to do is you have to go and look up economics, see what the starting salaries are for different majors, and it's what it's always been. The harder, math-intensive, scientific uh, type of majors are the ones that make the most. So your engineers, your IT people, computer programmers, that, you know, welders, your trades, you don't have to necessarily go to college. You can you know, get a become a highly skilled uh, tradesman. That's where we got to go. That's but but no one wants to be told that to make a lot of money you have to work hard. They want to think they can major in art history and become the next prince. Right, and 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 you know one of the things you know I'm a credit consultant, so I teach people, I teach consumers how to deal with credit issues legitimately. And I can remember once having a client who had a uh, an MBA in finance, and so what I have to do is take a complicated topic and put it into English so the person can understand it. And at the end, the, the, the client said to me, wow, I wish I, had, you know, he, I wish I had learned this in college. So you've kind of inspired me at some point. I'm, I'm actually thinking about writing a book, uh, maybe like um, you know, a book of, uh, dedicated to my younger self to help, to help people that are, that are younger, the kids, the teenagers, who don't learn about common sense things. And then you know, they get out of school or they're, they're out of high school and they're looking for a job and they have no idea. They don't know how to write a resume. They don't know what the etiquette is. Uh, they don't know how to do a lot of things because the schools are just teaching the academics. They're not necessarily teaching the real life basics of how you function as an adult human being. Right. And, and here's another point. You know, not only are they teach into the book or Common Core or to the test, do you think teachers? No, nah, no, there are good teachers out there, all, all 2% of them. These teachers never worked in the real world themselves. At the age of 17, they say, I'm going to become a teacher. Why? Because they get summers off, and I like children. Truth is, translate to English, I don't like to work hard, and I don't like math. So they've never, they themselves, the teachers, have never worked a real job. They've never worked in a coal mine. They've never worked in a factory. They haven't done accounting. And so you have the blind leading the blind. So it's, it's laughable to think professors and academians are going to be able to teach these kids about putting together a resume are going and applying for a job in the real world. So it, it, it really is the blind leading the blind in that case. Right. Well, I think there are some good teachers, but I think a lot of them probably get frustrated within the school system, and then they look to leave and find something else. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because they're they not making they a don't difference. Last long. I, I, yeah, I've known very good people, and some, some good teachers hack it through. They can, they can tolerate the politics and everything. Uh, but, yeah, usually then people are like, forget it, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, and then they go off and, and do something else. Now, what do you think about medicating students that have behavioral problems? No, <laughs> no. I mean, unless uh, if if they have behavioral problems, then you you get them out of the class, uh, or you talk to the parents. Um, but if you're talking medication, no. And, it, and predominantly, again, it's, it's the boys. And my gosh, can you see this eight year old boy was running around and and he 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 hit a tree with a rock. It's like yeah, that's what eight year old boys do. There's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, but yeah, there, this is in general. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't. You know, young kids that don't have genuine mental problems, but if you have a rambunctious, typically little boy, uh, that that's what boys do. They have a lot of energy. They have a lot of testosterone. They're running around, jumping out of trees. They get in fights. Uh, that's completely normal. Uh, and if right. you're going to medicate the kid, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot more convenient uh, for the teachers, even the parents, to have your kid all doped up and and kind of real slothful like. Uh, but in the end, I mean, it, we. We still have to find out. We'll yeah. see what happens uh, down the road with research. Uh, but I'm sure there's going to be drawbacks, both uh, mentally and, and uh, biophysiologically, uh, for giving kids Ritalin or something like that at the age of eight. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Now, in careers for people who have high IQ, how difficult is it for them to find a job? It, it really depends. And here, it's not necessarily the, the, the variable isn't IQ as much as it is like personality. Um, if you have a high IQ, you typically do better in general, making money. So some people, uh, they have that ability to go in, 
into an office. Uh, they, they become highly skilled individuals. So uh, the, uh, the concept of office politics doesn't really affect them because the employer needs them more than they need the employer. So your, your high-level uh, programmers, your high-level computer networkers, your, your surgeons. Uh, so in that regard, if, if you can play ball, you have the personality for it, you could do very well. Uh, but if you're on the other kind of group of high IQ people where it's you're a Tesla, you're an Edison, you're a tinkerer, you're, you're, you're a Henry Ford, you can't sit still, you've got to move, you've got to do something else, you've got to be creative, uh, that becomes almost impossible for you to sit in, a, in an employer, in an employment environment, because it, 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 you're not allowed to reach your full potential. You've got to work with people, you're not allowed to move as fast, you don't make the decisions. And so for those types, it's almost, it's almost necessary that you go into entrepreneurship and self-employment. Yeah. Now, people who have a high IQ, are most of them, do they, are, are they just plain bored in life because there's no challenges? I mean, you know, obviously in school, that's something, and you just talked about that a little bit. That, that's something that I, I don't know, I, I, I would think I would agree with because if you're high IQ and you're with people that are maybe not, then you sit there and go, oh my gosh. I, I mean, I remember once being placed in a, in a lower level English class when I was, I think, a, a, a sophomore or junior in high school. And it was too late to have it, you know, have them change it. And I aced the class with an A, and everyone thought how smart I was. And I thought, oh my God, this this <laughs> this course was so easy. There was not even a challenge to it, you know. If you know your high IQ, and you're you're in this field, yes, it's because you're the eagle surrounded by the turkeys. You have uh, 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 coworkers that may not be uh, as smart as you. You have bosses that may not be as smart as you. And you may be able to produce at X, but they're only going to have you produce at half of X, because that's the system or the uh, uh, ability of your boss, the company, the system, your coworkers to operate at. Okay, now I don't want you to go anywhere. I have more questions for you. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back in a moment. Consumers, do you have bad credit? Can't purchase a house or car? Paying too much in interest on your credit cards and loans? Scammed by credit repair companies? There is hope. You can get back on track and do it the right way. Call Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500-6064. Or go to CreditEducationConsultants.com now and get the help you need. Don't delay. Call today. Mortgage reps and realtor inquiries are also welcomed. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Hi, this is Dave Mason, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and a founding member of Rock Our Vets. Please help us support our military veterans and also the families of fallen law enforcement and firefighters across the country. You know, there is an average rate of 22 veterans per day that take their own lives due to the results of PTSD and over 1,000 calls to the suicide hotline a day from our veterans. Help us to help with making their transition from military to civilian life less of a struggle. We currently have a never-ending gift card drive that allows us to get food, clothing, and basic needs to these men and women that are out on the streets, homeless. We also provide laptop computers to veterans across the country that are returning to school for their educational pursuits or need them to start and manage a business. If your company has laptops that are no longer being used, donate them to Rock Our Vets. We also have some rock and roll memorabilia from myself and many other artists that have stepped up to support these efforts. And it's all available on the website at www.rockourvets.org. Links for everything can be found on the website. And remember, we are an all-volunteer 501c3 foundation. The money donated goes directly to our veterans, and you can actually see the results if you follow us on Facebook. Thank you for your time. Welcome back to the world of Laurie Zook. You've been listening to um, my author, Aaron Clary, from The Curse of the High IQ. Now, Aaron, 
you know, when you have a high IQ, you talk about how it, it's usually pretty difficult to work with the boss. And I'm going to guess the answer to this one is if you're a high IQ person and you have a boss who is not high IQ, I'm going to guess that they probably feel threatened that you're smarter than them and that you want their job. Would that be correct? Uh, you, not, not in all instances. And I used to think like, you know, people say, oh, you just intimidate your boss. That, that's one thing. Oh, you're just intimidating your boss. I never understood that. When I was younger, I'm like, well, how can I intimidate my boss? He's the boss. He could fire me at any time. Right. And what you have to real, yeah, what you have to realize is, yeah, there's some kind of like natural. I mean, these people are older, they're wiser. They may not be smarter, but they're wiser. Um, and they have seen it happen before, where some young up-and-coming whippersnapper develops a technology, develops a process that would obsolete or eliminate the need for having a bunch of different employees. Um, and one example I use in the book is I, I had this model that I programmed that would do underwriting in banking. And basically with me at the helm of this model, we wouldn't need an underwriting department. I could do the job of 12 men by myself because mm-hmm. it was that much more efficient. And you would think, oh, yeah, great. This is great. This kid came up with this thing, and it's going to save us a ton of money and overhead. Right. Well, you don't, if you get rid of 12 people, you don't need a manager all of a sudden. And that is where the real fear comes in is if you look at how bosses are promoted, how people become and in, get into management, it's by working in the current system that the company has. Again, it's conformity, it's compliance. And this is now they, they get promoted within the system and now they're a, a manager or they're a boss or a supervisor and they have a bunch of people under them and they're paid to manage. They're paid to be a boss. Well, if you all of a sudden come in and start obsoleting people's jobs, you could wipe out a whole division, and all of a sudden the, the, the director or the manager of that division is not going to have a job anymore. And as a matter yeah. of fact, you might get promoted because you've come up with this, this uh, revolutionizing and, and, and uh, a technology that obsoletes the need for all these people, including the boss. So not, it wasn't until I figured out and, and saw how and why people get promoted, what you're in, in, a manager of, and that it's within that current system. If you come in as a smart individual and start revolutionizing things, you're going to start cutting the fat away from the from the, the process, and with that includes a couple managers and higher-ups. And that's where you truly do intimidate them, because you're threatening their fiefdom and you're threatening their, their career. I got you. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. I never thought of it that way. Now, I want to go into dating, because I know that dating for high IQ people is difficult, and we're going to talk, <laughs> we're going to talk about that, because we've met in person, and you've met my other half, who's a doctor, and I, you know, I've lucked out, but I look through my past life with past relationships, and even though the majority of those men were also high IQ, a lot of them were threatened by my intelligence, but I never did anything in the relationship to make them feel threatened. But sometimes, like, I can think of one of them, you know, uh, saying, oh, I'm so jealous of everything. You have everything all together, and, you know, you do everything, and I wish I could be like you. And I'm thinking, but I'm not – each person is their own person. And how you relate in a relationship should be to – you know, if you love the other person, should be to protect that other person. But I think that a lot of people have issues with that. So how hard is it – or let's talk about the dating issues of high IQ individuals and how difficult is it for them to find a mate? Well, it's very difficult for both men and women simply by statistics. Um, again, if, if you're two standard deviations to, to the right uh, in IQ, uh, it's by 2%, 2.5%. You're in the top 2.5%. So out of 100 people, just imagine 100 people in a, in a field or a group or a concert or whatever, there's only two, maybe three people that are within your range of IQ, maybe four if you're willing to, to go down a little bit. If you're three, like one of these really freakishly high IQ people, it's less than 1%. So you're going to need 200, 300, 400 people in a crowd of people to find that one person, or maybe, if you're lucky, two people that can talk at your level and engage you intellectually. So just by pure statistics, it's, 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 hor- it's horrible. It's, it's, a, it's a huge uphill battle. I mean, it, it's, it's one in a hundred shot, perhaps even worse. Um, but then when you, when you break it down between the sexes, uh, different, you know, men have different problems and women have different problems. When, if you look at, say, the Bell distribution curve of IQ, men and women do not have the same shape. We have roughly the same average intelligence, but the Bell distribution curve for men is much flatter. So what that means is there's more higher intelligent men than women, but there are also more dumber men than women. So okay. this is where you see the majority of, of uh, street bums and panhandlers, they're men. Uh, whereas, the, say, the, mo- the majority of NASA people are, are guys. 
So the problem that presents to men is, let's say you're at an IQ of two, two and a half standard deviations above the, the mean. Uh, there's about two to three very intelligent men for every one woman there that have the same IQ. So if you have a, if you have a group of people uh, and they all have 140 IQ, two-thirds of them are going to be men. So you have twice the amount of men chasing after one of the amount of women. So there's two guys for every girl. So it, it, it forces men by the laws of economics. You're just going to have to date below your IQ. Right. And you now t- if you're a girl, you think, go, go ahead. Yeah, you talk about something I wanted you to explain, the hot, crazy matrix. I mean, I laugh when I read that, but why don't you, <laughs> why, why don't you explain that? That was a good one. Well, the hot, crazy matrix, that was, um, that's, uh, that's come up, uh, some Tennessee lawyer, I forget his name, but basically he says, um, the hotter a woman is, the, the crazier she is, and, and ever so simplifying the theory, it's because um, the... Uh, the prettier a woman is, the more uh, leniency society gives the girls. So they're never held up to a standard. They're never... Yeah, um, like Paris Hilton or not, the Kardashians. And you wonder... I, I sit here and wonder, these people are famous for just being famous, not for anything in particular, you know? And I, I don't understand it. But, yeah, Lee Shagan is head here agreeing with me. Right, right. So, and that, and that uh, and you know, looks doesn't necessarily have anything to do with intelligence, but um, that's just, you know, men go chase after the beauty and the looks and all that. Um, and and that, that presents a real problem. I've seen more than my fair share of colleagues go after mail-order brides from Russia, and surprise, surprise, they divorce them. And, and so no matter how intelligent the guy may be, it's usually overridden by um, uh, uh, Darwinistic desires, let's just say. Okay, now, do... Um, I, I, actually, I wanted to talk about the psychology chapter now in your book. Unless you have anything you want to add on the dating and, and oh, I know, well, I had. Well, I, I, I do want to. Ahead. I do want to point out it's not like uh, men are all smart and we're all intelligent, and it, that has not that. That's, but women also do face a problem too, um, because you would think women that you know because of the uh, warp distribution on, in terms of the high scale of IQ. Women have their choice. Uh, yeah, that's that's nice to have choice, but women are then typically flooded. High IQ women are typically flooded with uh, an overabundance of male attention they don't necessarily want. And if you think high IQ men, you're not exactly thinking Hugh Jackman or uh, Cary Grant. Um, it's Mortimer Snurd and uh, uh, Howie uh, McSnooty and uh, <laughs> these poor girls who are engineering majors and IT. You know, you know the IT girl. You know, we, we all know. Oh yeah, right. she's a real cool IT chick. Um, they are just flooded and inundated with male attention they don't necessarily want. So it, it's, um, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yes, both men and women have uh, challenges when it comes to facing uh, dating when, if they have a high IQ. Certainly, certainly sounds like it. And I wonder how many, you know, maybe you should do a book on how many, uh, like a survey of people who are married and determine how many, you know, if it's the man who has the high IQ and the woman who doesn't and vice versa, and then men and women together who have equal, you know, IQs and see what's the rate of divorce to do a comparison. Yeah, if I, if, if, if I had the money or government financing <laughs> or grant money to do that, maybe I would. But, um, I, yeah, I, I, that, would, that would take a fair amount of research. And it, it's kind of sad that there's not a lot of research out there, sociological anyway, about the high IQ people. Um, so it, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a new field. Gotcha. Now, in, in your book, you have a chapter titled Psychology, and it starts out with mental illness. So let's talk about some tortured geniuses. Name some famous people that were mentally ill. Oh, uh, Ernest Hemingway, Tesla. Um, who's the guy? He wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, Hunter Thompson. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, Hunter S. Thompson. Um, you, you could, you know, they're, they're all tortured geniuses, they're the, the, the stereotypical, but those, those are some that, that come to mind. Gotcha. Okay. And are high IQ people considered mentally ill by the average IQ people because they don't fit into the standard mold? They don't understand them? Yeah, it, it, I, I would say considered is a good word, but when you do the research, you find out that there is no proof. They haven't done the research to find out if uh, high IQ people tend to have a higher rate of mental illness. So you see, it's kind of the anecdote phenomenon where you see a famous person like Hunter S. Thompson kill himself or Ernest Hemingway kill himself and Tesla, well, he was weird and he didn't like women and he was just kind of a recluse. And then you make the, the association, the correlation between high IQ and, and mental illness. But on the handful of studies that have been done, they at most have pointed to maybe a possibility of there being a relationship. There's no conclusive proof. 
there's like, well, we kind of see this. I even did a little bit of study and statistics between uh, suicide rates and um, IQ based on different countries. And if you take all the countries in the world, there is no correlation uh, using suicide rates as a, as a proxy for mental illness. If you whittle it down just to Western nations, there's a slight positive correlation. Uh, but what, what I would say is, is by and large, it's, it's a perception. It's, it's not reality. Higher IQ people have different problems than other people may say, well, that's kind of a, a weird problem. He must have mental issues. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they, you know, they're suffering from depression or they're bipolar or anything like that. You know, th- that kind of led me, well, my next question you are discussing, why do high IQ people suffer mentally? Is it, yeah, we talk about mental, mental illness, but in the world of people who are, if it was all a high IQ world, those people would not be considered by the other high IQ people to be mentally ill. It, but it's those standard deviations on that bell curve that changes their, their that, you know, it, it's their way of thinking is different than, say, an average person. So I look at people like, you know, Beethoven, you have, you have uh, Mozart, most of the, the very well-known classic composers were, were considered geniuses, and they were definitely wacky people. And so, you know, I, I question why um, high IQ people suffer mentally well because they're kind of trapped in, the, in their own world. And it's, it's almost like autism is what it makes me think of. You're in your own yeah, world. It, it's just anyone who's different in whatever capacity or regard is going to suffer us of the economies to scale. Uh, for example, if you're a short guy. All right. That you're short guy. That doesn't mean you have a mental illness. It just means you're short. But you're going to suffer because you're not going to date as much. If you're an overweight woman, there's nothing mentally wrong with you. But you're going to suffer because society prefers skinny, attractive women. Um, if you are, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, high IQ is one thing. Um, trying to, or you just you're just eccentric or weird. And we all know those people. Right. Well, the geeks, the computer you. nerds. You're, you're yeah. one of the most eccentric people I've ever met. <laughs> and I love your, your, your cover. I mean, dude, it's great, and there's benefits to it. But right. no doubt you, you have not taken a normal path through life, and there are costs and consequences to that. Right. Not, not mental problems. Not, you know, it's not that, oh, they have um, obsessive-compulsive disorder. It's just if you take a different path through life or you have different qualities and traits, that are not within the standard streamline uh, uh, mainstream society, you're going to have some some positives, but you're also going to have some drawbacks, namely ones in efficiency. So it's it's not so much uh, that that they have mental problems as much as it is. Yeah, there's there's problems that come with being different or, or challenges right. and hurdles. Well, well, I think a lot of it's how you deal with it, and it's interesting you brought up obsessive compulsive because I come from I come from a family of obsessive compulsives. Um, you know, if you if you were to walk into my closet, all of my clothing, you know, like all my shirts are are white, going through the lighter colors down to dark, and you know, to black clothing, and I have everything. It makes it real easy for me to have everything organized when I do that. And yet, other people, you look at their closet, and everything's all mixed in, and I go, Oh my gosh, how do you find anything in them? You know, when you got to match things up, it just doesn't make sense to me. But what I've tried to do is take what maybe could be bad obsessive compulsive qualities, and I've tried to turn them into things that are positive, or at least positive for me, so that, you know, I can see why people who, who have a high IQ might do things like you talk about drugs and alcohol. Fortunately, I don't, I don't really do those things, but a lot of people do because they go, wow, I, I don't get the rest of the world. So, why, t- you know, talk a little bit about the high IQ people being prone to drugs and alcohol and why. Well, this is one that I actually do believe. Uh, I, my hunch is that uh, high IQ people probably do use drugs and alcohol more. Again, there's been no studies and stuff like that. Um, but uh, doing a little bit of research on Alcoholics Anonymous, your IQ is a little bit higher there. Um, and just through my own personal experiences and anecdotes, it's like, yeah, if you're high IQ and you're busting your rear off or you're, you're trying to, you see things that are so simple and clear and it takes everybody forever to try and catch up to you or you're trying to find some friends and you can't because there's so few of them, or you're trying to find a date and you can't, you'll inevitably turn to a vice of some kind, be it alcohol, drugs, cigars, cigarettes, something like that, just because you can't be constantly mentally stimulated the entire time. Or you could almost use a substitute through sublimation, uh, which is where you take all this extra energy or this, this passion that you have and you dedicate it towards whatever, Tesla dedicated towards uh, electricity, Henry Ford towards mechanics, 
me personally, I dedicate it to, you know, uh, hiking and writing and, and, you know, whatever else. So there, there is some kind of substitute. There has to be some kind of uh, 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 release for this extra energy, for this frustration, uh, for your high intellect. And either it can go into productive things or you just, instead of trying to spend your time on doing productive, creative, passion things, you actually, you, you turn your brain uh, off. You kind of scale it back. You slow it down with the use of, of booze and drugs. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I should start doing it. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but I, but I can understand that. You know, it, it, it is the hyperness. Like, I was, my mother will say, I was born as a hyper child, as, as someone who was always doing, doing, doing. Like, I have a difficult time. The only time I really sit still is when I'm reading. If I'm reading a really good book, and then I'm focused on that, and it's a distraction to me, and I like it, then I can read it. Other than that... I just am not able to sit still for long periods of time. Uh, but I found, like I said, I found ways to channel that, that mental energy anyway into doing something positive. Now, um, right. you know, let's talk about high IQ people. You know, I think more emotional. Do you think more emotional or less emotional or both? Uh, I, I'd say less. I, and, and honestly, it depends on, um, I mean, this is just a guess. I'd say it also depends on age. I think as you get older, you get less emotional. Um, and not to besmirch an entire generation, but these millennials are throwing uh, me for a loop in every regard, and, and completely emotional and drama and triggered, and oh my gosh, I'm insulted. So I think they're going to totally rewrite the book on any correlation between IQ and, and uh, emotional. Uh, but I, I would say the, the higher IQ, the more stable you are, uh, the less emotional. You're more rational. You approach something in a, in a, in a, a logical manner. You want to solve the problem. Uh, you also have the ability to take your emotions out of things. Um, like, for example, when I argue, I don't, I don't argue politics. I really don't. There is no argument in politics. I'm an economist. I'm an empiricist. So I simply, you know, someone says, oh, I believe in, you know, whatever. Uh, we Trump should raise Clinton. taxes. Yeah. I, you know, and I'm like, okay. Uh, some people get very angry at that, uh, and I disagree with that, but I'm not going to let it emotionally get to me. I simply go and look up data and say, okay, well, there's a negative correlation between tax rates and economic growth. I think you shouldn't do that. And then if you tell, you show somebody uh, the classic examples when I'd be debating in my 20s and 30s at various house parties, is I'd show people data. I mean, data. This is data. This is, you know, this is Fact. not exciting stuff. This is stuff coming from the Federal Reserve or, or the Bureau of Economic Analysis. I show them the, the data, and then they get angry at me and call me names and call me a fascist. It's like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Well, you're trying to give them facts, and, and they're trying yeah, to give, give you opinion. Yeah, yeah so they, they – and obviously, you know, okay, who's, who's the higher intelligent person here? Chances are this person who is all emotional calling me a fascist probably doesn't have my IQ. But, again, I don't get emotional or passionate about political debates um, like in my dating days, especially as I got older. Uh, if a girl threw a temper tantrum or there was something else or she, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I could walk away from it like, okay, fine, see you, bye. I got more important stuff to do. You're not the one. Um, so I think I think uh, higher IQ people can certainly remove emotion and passion from problems, be it logical, social, financial, economic, philosophical, or political. Right, and, and that's one of the reasons when I look at, so you know, you brought up people who are, who are arguing over certain things. I look at social media. I look at fa you know, the Facebook page. And I, I can tell you stories where I've had friends unfriend friends over the Hillary versus, you know, uh, uh, Trump situation. And so you'll have people that are so into one politician or so into the other. But, you know, you're going to either post the pros or the cons. And no matter what they do, those two people are never going to necessarily agree. But the part that I find disturbing is people will post things that are not factual. They're propaganda. It's done by the media. And so they haven't done their due diligence and their research. And so you've got all the people out. It's the divided states of America. It's not the United States. And whatever happened to respectfully disagreeing with someone's opinion rather than on Facebook going for the attack? Well, you know what? You're not face to face. You're on social media, but you're still doing it in that particular way because everybody else is going to see it and i think a lot of people make themselves look like little kids yeah yeah and that's that's the majority of the population especially when you, when you get younger uh but, but perfect example right there you're posting propaganda you're not researching it. it's like yeah I, I can't i i can't get excited about uh trump and hillary i don't care about the i mean i know how i'm going to vote and i'm not terribly excited uh but but that's because okay here's the problem these are the what are the options going to be 
I don't control. And I think that's another huge thing is I think these people think they still have like a control or like they can affect the outcome of this or something like that. Uh, Whereas I'd say highly intelligent people are just kind of like, okay, do I control the situation? No. Okay. Then I'm not going to get worked up about it. Right. And so, yeah, the the Facebook drama and the Twitter drama, I just, I can't, I can't get, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I got more important stuff. Right. Exactly. Now in your book, you state that one ten thousandth of 1% of the human population has achieved anything noteworthy in the world and that greatness is limited. So why does society try to stop high IQ people from pursuing greatness? Uh, in part because they're jealous, in part because it's different, but more so because it's, it's nothing conscious or malicious. It's just that in order to achieve greatness, you need to enlist the employee of other people. Um, Henry Ford had higher employees. Bill Gates had to hire employees. And I mean, imagine, if you would, Bill Gates being able to hire 10,000 Bill Gates from Microsoft instead of having to go into the normal population. Right. It, it shows you what your, what your potential is versus what reality is going to allow you to do it. In other words, like you're taking Marty Andrade. Uh, he, he's the car racer, right? Right. I'm not confusing him with a 10. Yeah, Marty Andrade is the car racer. Let's say you take Marty Andrade and you put him in my Kia Rio, Okay. How is he working at his potential? Right. I I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So this world is a vehicle smart people have been given. You're not going to get another one. This is it. So whereas Marty and Johnny's like, boy, I wish if I had a 12-cylinder F1 Formula race car, I could go a lot faster. Too bad you're stuck into Kia Rio. And it's the same thing here. Like every day I'm thinking like, oh, I got this great business idea. I'm like, oh, wait, I'd have to hire people. And that would be a pain. And then I'd have to deal with hiring and firing. And they'd probably goof it up. Uh, no, I don't want to do that anymore. So, whereas I might have this, you know, another example, not to bring it back to me, I was trying to stop the housing bubble from happening. I was trying to warn my, my employers, my bankers, and saying, look, there's a housing bubble here. We can't lend out at these loan-to-value ratios. Right. In theory, I could have stopped the house. No one wanted to hear it. People are sheep. Everybody yep. wants their loan mortgage. They want to have their arms. And then after a while, it's just like, okay, forget it. I don't control this anymore. Right, right. So it, it, it's sad. You're like this mythical Cassandra. You see the obvious solution for something. You can act, You could say, well, we could achieve this great thing if you guys just get on board. You, you might, as well be, might as well be talking to sheep because they either don't see your vision or they're not capable of it. Or they're just kind of like, well, why would I want to do that for you? And so they, they go and they watch their football games or watch the Kardashians. Okay, yeah. It's, the whole thing is crazy. Well, I, w- I want to ask you, we've got about three minutes. I want to ask you, I know we talked about it a little bit in the last show. How can somebody actually get their IQ tested? Oh, well, you can, you can go and have it professionally done. Uh, psychologists, you know, going to see a therapist. It, it's the Wexler, I forget the acronym. It's W-A-I-S. That's the official one. Um, but if you don't want to spend the time and the money on it, you could take a couple uh, IQ tests online. There's a lot of fake ones. Uh, the one I recommend is put out by Queendom. They have the, like, 15 years worth of data. Uh, take that one. They'll, they'll give you a ballpark figure, so you'll know, you'll definitely know whether you're smart or dumb uh, by taking that one. I think that one's still free. So, uh, but if you want it professionally done, yeah, you got to go to a therapist to do it. Right, because I see the ones that are online, and they're all different. You know, sometimes I do them for fun, but some of them are really wacky, and others look really serious, you know. So you can do the high IQ test online, but is it the real IQ test? Yeah, there's some that everyone has a magical score of 181, and I'm like, really? Uh, so I, w- I would definitely, yeah, take a serious one online. It, it should be like at least a 30-minute test. There should be more than five questions. So, yeah, that's why I recommend the Queendom or, you know, you could search it. You'll find it. Search serious online online uh, IQ test, and you'll come up with a couple candidates. Well, excellent. This this has been great. I want to thank you so much for, for doing this with me. I'm going to be reading the next book that you'll be sending me. We'll do another show. Um, why don't you give out your contact information in case anybody wants to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best place to go is captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. I got all the contact information there and links to all the different social media. Um, otherwise, yeah, the books, you just go to Amazon, search Aaron Clary. You'll find them there. And then the podcast, just search Aaron Clary. You'll find my podcast. You'll find the blog. You'll find, you'll find my haters. You'll find my, <laughs> my <laughs> the people posing as me. You'll find everything. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Aaron. I, I appreciate you being on the show. And join us next week on The World of Lori Zook.
consumers. Do you have bad credit? Can't purchase a house or car? Paying too much in interest on your credit cards and loans? Scammed by credit repair companies? There is hope. You can get back on track and do it the right way. Call Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500-6064. Or go to CreditEducationConsultants.com now and get the help you need. Don't delay. Call today. Mortgage reps and realtor inquiries are also welcomed. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payments James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payments James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Hi, this is Dave Mason, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and a founding member of Rock Our Vets. Please help us support our military veterans and also the families of fallen law enforcement and firefighters across the country. You know, there is an average rate of 22 veterans per day that take their own lives due to the results of PTSD and over 1,000 calls to the suicide hotline a day from our veterans. Help us to help with making their transition from military to civilian life less of a struggle. We currently have a never-ending gift card drive that allows us to get food, clothing, and basic needs to these men and women that are out on the streets, homeless. We also provide laptop computers to veterans across the country that are returning to school for their educational pursuits or need them to start and manage a business. If your company has laptops that are no longer being used, donate them to Rock Our Vets. We also have some rock and roll memorabilia from myself, and many other artists that have stepped up to support these efforts. And it's all available on the website at www.rockourvets.org. Links for everything can be found on the website. And remember, we are an all-volunteer 501c3 foundation. The money donated goes directly to our veterans, and you can actually see the results if you follow us on Facebook. Thank you for your time. 